Well, we are in a series uh, called Invested, and we have just been looking at this idea, what's the difference between a life lived spent, so that at the end you have nothing to show for it, and a life that's lived invested, so that at the end you have everything to show for it. Jesus had a lot to say about this. Uh, One thing that he said in particular that sort of guided our entire conversation has been, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. In other words, where you invest yourself, that's where you are depositing your heart. Your heart will follow your investment, be that an investment of your time, be that an investment of your talents, your treasure, whatever it is, your heart will follow your investment. So for the last three weeks, we looked at three parables that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 about time, talent, and treasure. And for this week and next week, as we wrap the series up, I want us to look at two parables that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. So you can open your Bible to Luke 16. We'll be there this week and next week. And and I want us to just, before we get into this very first parable that teaches us a lot about how we can live an invested life, I I want you to just stop for just a moment before we get into it and consider what would it be like if I were to come to you and tell you that you had some really important spiritual lessons to learn and that your role model for that would be this fellow. Let's put a picture up and see this guy. His name is Bernie Madoff. Anybody recognize that name or recognize that picture? Yeah. If I were to come to you and say to you, hey, I want to teach you an important spiritual lesson. And for an example, the way I want you to live is I want you to look at Bernie Madoff's life and I want you to do what he did. You should get up and leave and go to another church. Because if you don't know what this guy did, back in 2008, uh, he was, it, it was discovered that he was involved in a huge Ponzi scheme. He had basically defrauded thousands of people out of $16 billion. There were people whose entire retirements were lost. Every, they lost everything because of this guy named Bernie Madoff. And if I were to tell you, hey, if you want to live a life invested, you need to learn, you need to learn a lesson that Bernie lived by, you would think you have lost your mind. And yet, the parable we're going to look at today is exactly that circumstance. Jesus is holding up an example who is the first century version of Bernie Madoff. And I want you to keep that in your mind. This parable is so bizarre, so strange, that honestly, you may have never even heard a sermon based on it. You may have never heard this parable before because people just kind of skip it because they, they, they don't know what to do with it when, when somebody tells you, hey, you can learn something important about your spiritual life from Bernie Madoff. So I want us to look at it together because I think there's something critical that Jesus wants you to know. I think there's something critical that Jesus wants our church to know about how we live an invested life. So Matthew, um, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So you've got a boss and you've got a guy who's in charge of all this guy's assets. And it, it, the boss gets word that the manager is not doing a good job. He's wasting the money. He's embezzling them. Whatever it is, he's not doing a good job. And the boss has found out about it. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. For you, no long, for you can no longer be my manager. So the manager clearly has a problem. He is just about to get fired. He is very soon going to be without a job. His future is about to change in a significant way, and he knows that time is short. So look what happens in verse 3. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? 
Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Okay, so here's his problem. Like, I don't want to go do manual labor. I can't do that. I really don't want to become a beggar. I'm really only good for one thing. This thing that I'm doing is the only thing I'm good at, and I'm about to lose that job. I feel that way about my job a lot. Like, I don't, like, I don't know what else I do. I don't have any other ideas. Maybe you feel that way about yours. You don't have any other really good options here. So that's where this guy is. What am I going to do? I have decided what to do. So he's got an idea. So, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their homes. So he's planning for the future. He's got an idea. He knows that his time is short. He knows that he's going to need to land somewhere, and he is starting to think about that reality. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill And sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Okay, so you see, this guy is a crook. I mean, why the master let him have access, continue to have access to his financial resources is beyond me, but he did, and this guy's going to take advantage of it. So he goes to all the people who owed his master money, and he said, hey, listen, let's just adjust the bill. So you owed 100, hey, let's make it 50. You, you, you owed 200, let's make it 80. Let's adjust the bills down. He's building favor. He, here was his solution. His problem was he's about to lose his job. His solution is that he is going to use the limited time that he had and the few resources that he had available to him, and he was going to make friends for the future. That was what he was going to do. Now, he may have been ripping off his master. That's, that's obviously, as we read this, we think, well, he's ripping his master off. But there's another couple things that could be going on. We don't know. Jesus doesn't give us the, the details. But just to speculate for just a minute about some other alternatives that could have been happening. One, it could have been that this manager was allowed to charge overage to the people who owed his master to make up for his salary. In other words, that he could say, all right, if, if, my, if you owe my master 50, if I collect 100, then I get to keep the other 50. So it could be that the guy was sacrificing his own portion of the debts that he was going to collect on his master's behalf. That's one possibility. The other possibility, and this, is, this may be more likely, is that there was a Jewish law that said Jews were not allowed to charge interest. Which means that this master was violating the law by charging interest to the people who owed him money, who owed him resources. So the the servant figured out, the manager figured out, aha, I've got my master just where I want him. Because he he can't cry foul against me. He can't bring charges against me. Because if he brings charges against me, he himself is going to be confessing that he was charging interest, which was illegal to do. So it could have been one way or the other. It could have been that the con man himself got out con. Whatever it was, this guy was thinking ahead. He was using his head. He was thinking about this. So then the master commanded the dishonest manager, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Can you imagine that? Like the boss looks and is like, wow, that was really good. I mean, what you got away with was, was really pretty good. Actually, the people who investigated uh, Bernie Madoff and, and that entire scheme, they were astounded at the incredible effort that Bernie Madoff put in, not just to ripping people off, but to doing it while skirting all the laws that were on the books. The laws changed after that. 
because they found the loopholes. And so this, this, this master is looking at his manager and saying, hey, it's astounding. It's amazing what this guy was able to get away with. For the sons of this world, these are the words of Jesus now. Listen to what he's saying. Because he's not just talking about this crooked manager. He's talking about people in our own day and age. Listen to what he's saying. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. See, here were the results of the manager's efforts. His master praised him for thinking ahead and being shrewd enough to develop a plan. And Jesus says that the world is better at doing this than his own people are. That the world is better about thinking ahead and developing a plan to deal with the coming reality than are his own followers. So this guy realized that what he would soon need more than the wealth that he had at the time. Because remember, he had access to everything the master had. It was all available to him. And what he realized is that what he would soon need more than all that wealth that was available to him was the influence and the relationship that his wealth could secure for him when he needed it in the future. And here's the principle that I think Jesus is teaching us about how we invest our lives. That he is saying to us, use your limited time and passing opportunity to positively impact your approaching future. Use your limited time. You've only got so much time. Unlike the manager, you may not know that you're about to lose your job. You may not know that your life is about to radically change, but the manager did. All of us, no matter how much time it is, it's limited. It's a finite period of time. Use the limited time that you have and the passing opportunity that that time has given you with the resources that are available to you to positively impact your approaching future. That's what this guy did, and it's what I think Jesus is saying my followers need to do. You need to recognize time is short. The opportunity is limited. The resources that that you have available to you are not your own. And you have an opportunity to leverage them for something greater when the new reality comes. Now, I I want us to look at this story as we continue on because Jesus is going to start unpacking it. And I think as he unpacks it for us, he's going to give us three ways to think about our stuff. So so I want us just to spend the rest of our time together in this passage looking at what it is Jesus is telling us about how we should think about our stuff. Because here's what's true about your stuff and my stuff and all of our stuff. You You will either use your stuff and leverage your stuff for eternal purposes or your stuff will be used by you and will be entirely wasted. You will either use and invest your stuff for eternal purposes, or you will spend your stuff and it will be a total waste. So let's look at these three ways that Jesus tells us that we are to think about our stuff. First of all, I think he tells us that we should realize that your possessions are tools. Your possessions are tools. Look what he said in the next verse, verse 9. And I tell you, Jesus says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, did you catch that? What is he saying about unrighteous wealth? Well, he's saying basically money is amoral. Money is not righteous uh, by itself. You can use money for righteous causes. You can use money for unrighteous causes. Money itself is neither righteous uh, nor evil. It's ju- it just is. He's saying, so it's not righteous. That's the, kind of, that's the word unrighteous, what it means there. He says, take this that is not, that is amoral, and he said, and use it when it fails so that y- you will receive an eternal dwelling. 
Because it will fail. When it fails, Jesus said. So you've been given a tool in your hand for a very short period of time. That we convert unrighteous wealth into eternal reward by how we choose to invest it. The tools that you've been given and how you choose to use them in this life. See, the money that I have invested in the gospel being shared and being, and being used to, to convert people and to convert their futures into an eternal reward is going to have an impact on people that I may never know as they respond to God's love. See, I will never know the, the, the lady that, that Casey described earlier as we talked together. But, but there was a part of it that where I'm invested in that. You are invested in that as you prayed for Casey, as you supported Casey. We're invested in that. That's an eternal reward that can never be taken away. So so how can I leverage my wealth? This is the question that we have. How can I use my stuff as a tool? How can I leverage what I've been given, my earthly wealth, for some higher good? How can I leverage my house for some eternal purpose? Or do you believe that your house was only given to you for your own comfort and your own shelter? See, I think the Bible says something different. That that house doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. I think we should ask ourselves, how can I use my car? How can, how can I use my hobbies? How can I use my talent? How can I use my education? You know, I think in, in recent history, uh, for some of you, you lived through this history. You can think back to World War II, and what a wonderful example it was in our entire culture and in society at that time. As Americans, uh, as an entire nation, leveraged everything they could leverage for the cause that they believed in, for, for the cause of, of freedom in the world. Listen to what James Bradley says in the book Flags of Our Father about that time. The entire nation seemed overnight to have snapped out of its Depression-era lethargy. Everyone scrambled to be of help. Rubber was needed for the war effort and gasoline and metal. A woman's basketball game at Northwestern University was stopped so that the referee and all ten players could scour the floor for a lost bobby pin. Americans pitched in to support strict rationing programs, and their boys turned out as volunteers in various collection drives. Soon, butter and milk were restricted along with canned goods and meat. Shoes became scarce and paper and silk. People grew victory gardens and drove the gas-saving victory speed of 35 miles per hour. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without became a popular slogan, Americans sacrificed. Now, ask yourself this question. Why? Why were Americans willing to live like that? Why, as a society, were Americans willing to sacrifice like that? Because they believed in a cause that was greater than themselves. And they saw everything they had as a resource to be leveraged for the cause that they believed in. And on the other side of the ocean, there were people making the same kinds of sacrifices. I want you to watch this video clip. It's a familiar movie about a historic figure named Oscar Schindler. And as he came to the end of his, uh, of his efforts to save uh, the, the Jews that he could bring into his factory and give jobs as, he's, as they're preparing to evacuate him. He's surrounded by all the people whose lives he saved from the concentration camps. And I want you to hear his response as they're trying to get him to leave before the Nazis come in. Watch this video clip with me.
This is why I always cringe when people think that the tithe or the 10% that they give back is what belongs to God. God doesn't own just 10%. God owns it all. The reality is that we don't give him anything. It's all his to begin with, that we've been entrusted for a very short period of time, and it's a tool, and it's a test. And the test will determine whether or not you can be trusted with more. And we demonstrate faithfulness in the test by effectively investing what we have into others for his sake. And do you realize that your test score will determine what eternity will be like? How you handle your money does not determine where you go, but it may have an impact on what it's like once you get there. And if all that's true, then to refuse to sacrifice today is to choose to sacrifice later. To refuse to sacrifice today is to decide to sacrifice later. Your possessions are a test. They're a tool, but your possessions are also a trademark. A trademark is something that that identifies uh, who made something. Um, It's a a mark that is put onto an object, and it, it identifies ownership. It identifies who invented it, who manufactured it. And your possessions are a trademark on your life. Listen to what Jesus said, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We read that, and if it sounds familiar, it should, because Matthew also quoted Jesus saying that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Listen to what the Pharisees, that's who were hearing what Jesus said. Listen to their response. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, remember, Jesus said you can't love both. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Because it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? What Jesus is saying. The things I'm saying to you are so countercultural, the world would listen to what I'm saying and they would ascribe all kinds of false motives and say, Well, he's just after your money. The church is just trying to get your money. Jesus never asked for money. This isn't about what you give to the church. This is about a condition of your own heart and how you want to live your life when you face the reality that this manager faced when time ran out. How do you want to live your life then? See, the ultimate issue is lordship. The ultimate question is, who has your heart? Who do you belong to? Whose trademark is on you? Your attitude about your possessions is the ultimate test of your loyalty. If you are loyal to God, you will see every possession you have as a tool, as a test, and as a trademark. And you will not ever hesitate to hold it just like this. Say, God, if you want to take, if you want to use my house, use my house. If you want to use my car, use my car. If you want to use my education, use my education. If you want to use my vacation time next summer to go on a short term, use my vacation. Whatever it is, God, I'm holding it loosely. But if you are loyal to your possessions first and foremost, you will constantly leverage your possessions to build your own kingdom. And your kingdom will not last. You cannot be loyal to God and to your possessions. They are mutually exclusive. Ultimately, you will be forced to say yes to one at the expense of the other. And you get to make that choice by how you see your possessions as a tool, as a test, and as a trademark. And like the dishonest manager, we all, have, uh, we, we all go to all kind of effort 
to, to leverage our resources to adjust our standard of living. I don't know how many of you have done this. Maybe you were going to buy a, a new car or maybe you were trying to get into a, a house that was a little bit bigger and you'll sit down and, and you will scheme and strategize and plan how you can leverage what you have in order to get what you want. You might have even sat down and thought, you know, as I approach retirement, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to try to leverage my limited resources to achieve a goal that I want to achieve in retirement. We budget carefully in order to spend more. We'll budget carefully in order to save more. But why is it that we don't sit down and think about our resources and budget in order to be able to give more? In order to be able to sacrifice and leverage the tools that we have for the kingdom. See, we don't think that way because that's a radical way of thinking. And that's why Jesus sounded so radical, not just today, but he sounded radical to his first audience. It's why the Pharisees turned and walked away. Because it was such a ridiculous thing that Jesus said, it's so countercultural. See, you only have a little bit of time. You only have a little bit of resources. And the question is, what are you going to do with the resources that you've been given? Because here's what I already know, and here's what you know. Maybe you don't think about it consciously, but here's what's true. Consuming is not fulfilling. You cannot consume your way to happiness. You can consume your way to debt. Some of you have experienced that. You can consume your way into marital problems. You can consume your way into bankruptcy. You can consume your way into a cold, calculated, uh, cold, calculated heart. And it, you can consume your way into insecurity, wondering or not if you can keep up with your neighbors who have the nicer house, the nicer car. You can consume your way into dissatisfaction. You can consume your way into greed. But you will never consume your way into happiness. I have never met anybody who gave his or her way into financial insolvency. But people consume and spend their way into that, that reality all the time. See, when things get bad in our life, like for this manager, find out you're going to lose a job, find out your reality is about to change, well, our tendency is to do this, isn't it? Our tendency is to hold on. Just hold on to what we've got. And Jesus is saying in this parable, you need to do just the opposite. You need to recognize that it's only when you, when you realize the brevity of the time that you've been given, the, the, how precious the resources are to use for an eternal reality, that you begin to loosen your hold and you begin to trust the God who put those tools in your hands in the first place. And say, God, here it is. It's all, it all belongs to you. And as a church, we have to think this way, Southside. We have to ask ourselves a question. Why is it that Southside has a reputation and a tradition of being one of the most generous churches per capita in, in the city of Jacksonville? I, I don't want us to take that for granted. And I don't want to use that just for our own comfort and well-being. I, I mean, I want to create awesome, attractive ministry environments that will draw people in. And I, but I also understand and know that what God has given us is a tool, and it's a test. And it will be the trademark whereby people will look at us and say, who, who does that church belong to? Who do those people belong to? Because when they see our heart, they will see our treasure. And my question is, is our treasure Jesus Christ? Because if he is our treasure, then our heart needs to be with him. And that's where we need to invest everything we've been given for the cause of Christ and to fulfill his calling on your life, on your family, and on our church. Listen, we've got a lot to learn from this dishonest manager about stopping and thinking about the reality that is to come and how we will use the short amount of time we have left the, the diminishing opportunities that we've been given, and, and how we will leverage those things for God's glory 
and for his kingdom in this world. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. As we uh, prepare to just have a time of reflection and commitment, maybe for some of you, you realize that your treasure is anywhere but in Christ. Your treasure is in what you own. Your treasure is in your wealth. Maybe your treasure is actually, you would say, it's in my debt. It's what consumes me. My debt's what consumes me. I'm in bondage. I I want you to know today that the invitation of Jesus Christ is that you you can today... You can today open your heart up to Christ. And it's not going to change your financial circumstance overnight. But but as you walk with Jesus each step of the way, and as you allow him to reorient how you think about your possessions and your wealth and your resources, step by step, step by step, I believe you'll begin to see a miracle take place. But that doesn't happen just because you've reached a crisis. It happens because you truly step out in faith to follow after Jesus. And he's not asking you to do that without giving you first evidence of his commitment to you. Because in fact, it was Jesus who first laid down everything for you on the cross at Calvary. That he laid it all down. He invested everything. His life was the tool that he would give for your salvation. His life, his life was the test as he prayed, Father, not not my will, but your will be done. And it was a trademark that points us to God. I pray today, more than anything else, that he becomes the central treasure of your heart and your life. And as he becomes your treasure, it'll change everything about your finances, everything about the way you think about your possessions, the relationships that you have. Father, we come to you today and we are so humbled as we think about the lessons that we can learn from a dishonest manager who is willing to use unrighteous money to build relationships and secure a better future. Lord, help us as your people to think as shrewdly about the money and the resources we've been given for the cause of your kingdom as this manager thought about the resources that he had for his own well-being. Lord, I pray that we would embrace this message as challenging as it is, as convicting as it may be, and that, Lord, we as a church might understand and recognize that nothing that we have been given is ours, but it all belongs to you. And that we would come and we would say, Lord, how do you want us to use this tool to join you in building your kingdom around the world? Lord, how how can we pass this test in such a way that we would get to the end of our lives? And Father, we would be totally invested with no regrets of what we've spent on ourselves. Father, may the world look at this, your church, and may they see because we've leveraged everything about it for the cause of your kingdom and the cause of your purpose. Father, as we prepare to go into the invested uh, campaign, and and Lord, as we seek to know how to use the resources, I pray that you would give uh, this church discernment and wisdom. Father, that that, that goes beyond um, just what we can learn from earthly economy, but that we might see a divine economy in the way you've called us to serve in the way you called us to love one another, even as we love you. Father, speak to our hearts. We pray, as we sang earlier, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us even now. In Jesus' name, amen.